what advice would you give an aspiring investor who's maybe six to 12 months away from getting their first deal? For me, it's meeting people, networking, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out where is it that you can add value. Ultimately, it's like people are what kind of get you where you want to go. Awesome. Daisy, how about you? Take action. Whatever it is that you want to do, there's somebody somewhere close to you that's doing it or that has the experience that you are aspiring to to get. And so whether it's literally just helping and shadowing on a due diligence call or shadowing on an asset management call, going out and volunteering and doing something for the person that can bring some value to you. Everybody, no matter what place of their career they're in, needs help with something. And so figuring out what that is and taking action is huge because if you do something every single day towards your goals, then you're going to be in such a different place in a year. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. And this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. All right. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. I'm very excited for today's show. We have two guests that are coming on. Uh, Typically, it's called a first deal episode. They're going to talk about their second deal. And they are both former, and I'm doing air quotes right now, if you're listening, aspiring investors on previous podcast episodes. So welcome to the show, Luke and Daisy. Yeah, wonderful to be here with you, Ryan. And this is a, our second time around. So definitely exciting to, to be back and be able to share our experience now. Awesome. So we got we got a lot to a lot of room to cover as far as updates. You guys were both on, let's see, episode 49 and episode 51 about 18 months ago. Luke, uh brought you on with Daniel Homlin. Do you remember any of the anything from there? Any big takeaways from that episode? I think a big takeaway for me uh, was that he was able to leverage his network at his W-2, right? Like there was a strong internal network. And I think he was maybe even in an ERG that was there, if I'm not mistaken. And so that was a big takeaway for sure. Yeah. And he he has he works at Intel and he brought me on to speak to his investor group. And he's raised a lot of money from his uh, his work, you know, so he he runs the investor group at his work. He's been able to to actually dip into that pool quite a bit. And Daisy, you were on with Bethany Finch, and I just mentioned to you before the show, I met her in person, you know, two weeks ago, which was really really fun. Any any takeaways you had from that that podcast episode? Yeah, Bethany was great. Uh, I remember that she talked quite a bit about being able to help the community to do well. Uh, she worked with nonprofits, with churches in the area to be able to bring in resources for residents. And so her messaging of being able to do good for everybody involved, right, for partners, for the local community, for nonprofits, for the sponsors themselves, for investors was really a, a main takeaway for me. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. Now let's let's talk about you guys for a little bit. So go. I think when when we brought you on, you guys were engaged at the time. So let's let's fill fill us in. Give us a background even before then, where you guys came from, and walk us into how you got into real estate, and then up till very recently. Yeah. So I ended up starting. I uh, I was born and raised in Southern California, and my dad was from 
another country. He's from Trinidad. And so growing up, he was extremely entrepreneurial. He was always doing tons and tons of things. As I got older and I saw him starting his own businesses along the way, that was something that was pretty natural and very normal, I would say. And my parents, they ended up actually doing a little bit of real estate. They had single family that they ended up taking from their first home to their second home um, mm-hmm. and ended up having rentals. And so, you know, once I ended up finishing school and college, I ended up reading the uh, the famous purple little book. Yep. And there were so many things in there and so many messages that I think I intuitively knew, especially mm-hmm. growing up in the environment that I grew up in with my parents and the example that they set. It was just it was just distilled and put into something, right? So for the better part of a few years, I ended up looking around at, at different ways to get involved in real estate. I was like, this makes sense. I love it. Multifamily apartments, like everything just ended up making sense. And it mm-hmm. it wasn't until I came across passive investing actually in syndication mm-hmm. where I was like, Well, this is this is the avenue to do it. Yeah. Because I was, I mean, I was living in Southern California at the time, Brian, and I was priced out. And so the numbers just didn't make sense either. And so at that point, you know, I ended up investing passively and I'd already met Daisy at the time. And so I invested passively and then we ended up doing another passive investment together, you know, decided to get active and then we ended up moving and then there's more that's happened, of course, but that's the the very short brief bio for me. Nice, nice. And Daisy, how about you? Yeah, for me, it was uh, the complete opposite, right? My my parents were both immigrant parents from Mexico and chasing the American dream right here in the US. And so it was about going to school, getting an education, getting a safe job. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, right after college, went into education and was in that space for 10 years prior to meeting this guy over here. Right. Uh, you know, We met, started dating. He started talking about all this crazy investment uh, world right? that, that he was interested in, mm-hmm. kind of pulled me in. And at that point, just really once he once I saw in real estate the opportunity to be able to retire my parents and, and help my community, it just you know completely shifted my whole mindset right around around investing around multifamily. And so yeah, as Luke mentioned, I'll sort of fast forward a little bit. We were engaged, we put together, sat down and created a, a 10-year plan in terms of where we wanted our lives to be in the next 10 years, what kind of family life we wanted to have, what kind of financial stability, all the things that you can think of. And everything led to, to Texas, right, where we'd been investing already. We knew the market. We loved the market. Uh, it was continuing to, to grow. And so we picked up and moved. Didn't know absolutely anybody in Texas, yeah, right? It was just us. Old. Yeah. yeah. So we got married a few months later, moved to Texas uh, on our own and, and have been here now for a year and a half. Awesome. That's given us the opportunity to jump onto the active side. We have now a couple deals as GPs. And continuing to to get out there and, and pursue the the reason that that made us move out here, right? Yeah. And we have a little one on the way, so now that's the other side of it, right? Is, yep. is joining the family here? It's coming well. coming in about a month and a half, right? Exactly. Awesome, boy or girl? Uh, actually, it's a surprise, so we don't. Oh know. yay! Yeah. yeah. So you're going old, old school, not knowing uh-huh. until it's born. Yeah. That's, that's- <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. So, I mean, when, when you guys are doing the ultrasounds, you just kind of close your eyes when they get around that area or. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They uh, just have us look away, but you know, you can't yep. really tell anything anyway. So. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a lot of white fuzz on a black screen when I look at it and they're like, can you exactly. see this? I'm like, nope. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, I, I'm sure. I mean, my, my last kid was born almost seven years ago. So maybe the, the visual quality's changed since then. I remember a lot of white fuzz on black screens. Uh, anyway, congratulations okay. on the, on the new edition. Hope it all goes extremely well for you. 
And as far as your, your upbringings, I, I think I had a little bit of both. I think my, my dad tried to dip his toe in the entrepreneurial world. You know, I, I saw him try to create a couple of businesses that ended up, I, I don't know if failing is the right word for it. Uh, you know, he ended up pulling the, the plug on them. But for most of my dad's career, he had W-2 from essentially from when I was born till a couple of years ago when he retired. So I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but without the you know, the real, the real example like that from, from my father. So we're kind of right in the middle of both of your stories. That said, uh, Austin, big move. And, you know, when, when you, when I heard you guys were doing that, I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty bold. You know, so you, you picked up and moved to Texas because that's where you guys were going to invest and, you know, newly married and you're like, Hey, might as well. Right now, as far as your portfolio right now, you've got one property in Austin and one in Tucson, right? Which one came first? It was actually the one in Austin. Yeah, it was maybe three-ish months, three, four months after that we ended up moving that, you know, we had the opportunity to end up teaming up with a, a few other people here and and then get on the active side. So that was uh, that was uh, a 42 unit here in Austin. Okay. Austin. Awesome. Now, if you hadn't moved, do you think that would have been an opportunity for you or do you think that came because of the move? Yeah, I, for sure. I I definitely believe that it's because of the move, right? We were doing so much uh, in getting out here and meeting with brokers and meeting with partners, uh, still doing the the podcast as well, right? Which is how we initially met one of our partners. Uh, But there was just so much momentum that we had a meetup that we started like the next month right after we moved out here to be able to meet people locally. So there was just so much momentum in a very short amount of time that for sure it was because of the move. Okay. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people do that and I've got five kids. So picking up and moving is not, uh, you know, I, I always, I've moved 12 times in, in the last, since my wife and I've been married, you know, so picking up yeah. and moving again, sometimes isn't the most appealing thing to my wife. Part of me has always said, man, I, I'd really like to live in the areas that we're investing in. It just hasn't been in the cards for us yet. Good for you guys for doing that and, and glad it's worked out. But let's talk some of the challenges that you guys had getting started in multifamily investing. You know, I mean, we've talked about you guys having invested passively a couple of times, trying to go from the passive investor to the active investor. What were the biggest hurdles you had to come over? Yeah, I think part of it is understanding like the whole acquisitions process, because if you're a passive investor, it's pretty, it's already under contract, right? Due diligence is already well underway the majority of the time. And so by the time you're seeing the, the offering and the opportunity, then that's already all taken care of. So there's all of this sweat equity and work that goes into it to yeah. begin with. That was definitely something that was that was a learning experience. It's like mm-hmm. broker relations, underwriting, understanding where the market's at. I mean, even being able to work with vendors and being able to like, you know, it's like debt or or construction, right? Or insurance. Yeah. There's all of that that goes into acquisitions. So that, I would say that that was definitely something was you know, at least for me was, was like getting up to speed. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. It's uh, most of the pre-close work is done before you do an investor webinar, before you send out the pitch decks. Most of the passive investors have the advantage of that already done. Any, any big challenges from your perspective, Daisy? 
Yeah, I would say uh, on the other side of it, right, the, the capital raise side uh, being, you know, a first time sponsor, you don't have the track record, right, to go out and, and speak to sponsors or, you know, to other investors, right, about the business plan and how, you know, give examples of past performance or, you know, what you've done in previous business plans, right? And I think just getting more comfortable, right, around having certain conversations and, and that just comes with experience, one, and two, having the right partners in place, right, because then you're able to leverage their experience, their track record. You don't have to always have the right question for an investor is what I learned. It's just being able to get the right answer from the right person and come back. So not trying to BS your your way through an answer and just say, you know what, this is not something uh, I have the answer to right now, but I'll be happy to check with the team and and get back to you. And just having the right team and relying on the team is, is a huge part of it for sure. Yeah. And that, that, that's something that honestly was hard for me at the beginning. Cause I, I like, my, my personality is like, I, I like to know everything. I like to be the person with all the answers. You know, there, there were many times where I just had to, you know, swallow my pride and just say, you know, my, my teammate, my partner takes care of that. Let me double check with him and get back to you. And I, I appreciate you saying that because there, you know, it is very much a team sport yeah. and you, you can always, especially as, you know, when you're first doing your first deal, you're less experienced, you can leverage that team, you know, you don't have to have all the answers. So very, very good point on that one. About these challenges, there, there's also a big education process going in. How did you guys go about educating yourself about how to get into the multifamily space? Yeah, a big part of it early on, for sure, was networking. We had the podcast. So that was a huge education too. Like, yeah. I mean, we'd, we'd bring people who were more experienced than us, like yourselves on, especially early. If you look back at our early episodes, especially through the first, you know, 25, 30, 40 episodes, it was a lot of people who were very experienced. That was, that was a big piece for sure. And then, you know, through that networking, we're able to get connected to people who we felt like were like-minded. We didn't do any mentorship, any formal mentorship program that is a, is something where you're in there for a few years and you have a specific coach and anything like that. We, we did end up doing a mastermind. It was definitely like a little bit different and much more toned down. And so a lot of it was, I'd say a lot of it was networking and talking to people and then figuring out how we can add value to them and vice versa. And then trying to just continue to develop the relationship from there. Yeah. yeah, and I would add that uh, the other piece of it was doing it right. And I remember the very first uh, tour that I went on with with a broker. I was so nervous. I was deaf, scared of brokers. Right. I was very intimidated by them. You know, I, I went through the first uh, few and. Uh, you know, was super prepared. I was so prepared that I was ready to answer anything on that OM. And then I realized that, oh, this was a lot easier than I thought, right? It was really about getting to know the property, getting to know the broker. And so, you know, that that just helped. But also I was overly prepared, right? Which didn't hurt as well. So just, you know, knowing what we knew, making, making sure that we knew the deal, that we knew the market, uh, mm-hmm. that we were prepared with questions, uh, you know, made the process a lot smoother. But you just have to jump into it at some point, right? You can only read about it so much or listen to podcasts so much and read books and talk to other people. And at some point you just have to take the leap of faith and, and do it yourself. Yeah. And I, I agree when, when I start looking at how I learned about it, I, I did formal coaching and, you know, what I learned about formal coaching is, you know, I, I think they, a lot of them present the information a little better and you've got somebody to pick up the phone and call, you know, you, you can replicate that pretty easy. Really, where I learned the most, like like you said, Daisy, was just doing it. You know, taking action, and and I like how you said it. There, there you get to the point to where you're not going to learn anything else from books. And then the other point 
I remember right about the time I started my podcast, I, I was talking with Whitney Sewell and, you know, he's had a daily podcast for, for a couple of years now. One thing he mentioned to me is don't worry about listeners. Don't worry about downloads. And he said, if I had zero downloads, all the time and money I spent on podcasting would still be worth it because of what I've learned and how I've grown. That yeah. I, I didn't understand that to the fullest extent when when he said it. Now, after having run a podcast for two years, yeah, wow, that's a, that's a huge difference maker right there. And both of you guys have mentioned the podcast. I'll just say it out loud. Make It Rain is their podcast. Um, you can find it just about anywhere. And I think your, your Instagram handles also make it rain as well, right? Yeah. It's a make it rain capital for Instagram, make it rain capital. Okay. So um, we'll put, uh, put links to the the podcast and uh, Instagram in the show notes. And then, you know, at the end, end of the episode, we'll talk about what else you want to put in there, but, oh, and incidentally, October 6, 2020 episode 24, this guy right here was on the make it rain capital uh, yeah. podcast. <laughs> and I, I think that's how we met. I think, uh, I think you guys came on my pod. I came on your podcast first and you guys came on mine shortly after, but yeah. I think that's how we met. So yeah. And you were still living back east at the time, I remember, because we because yeah. we ended up doing like sort of a little pre-interview beforehand. And I remember I remember that because we yeah. were living in L.A. at the time. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, you guys you guys did uh, like a 15 minute pre-interview. And uh, I'll, I'll be honest, when when I know people going on to the podcast, it's a much better episode. I, I started trying to do I, I I did it for a little while where I was trying to get people on a call first, basically because I saw you guys doing it. I'm like, you know what? That's a good idea. And I, I did notice, like I said, from, from my own podcasting that, you know, somebody who comes on the, the, the podcast that I'm familiar with, I've talked with, I know at least a little bit, the episodes are a little bit more better. I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but they're, but they're definitely better. And I, I think that was, that's really smart for you guys to have done that. Anyway, that said, uh, let's start talking about this deal of yours. Uh, it's a Tucson 176 units. Let's talk first about the team. Tell us about how the team came together and what your guys' role was in that property. Yeah, he he pretty much was the the lead sponsor for for the deal. Brought the deal to us. Uh, we've known him for over two years. He was actually one of the very first sponsors that we ever met when we were yeah. still living in LA. All he's right. based in LA as well. Uh, so it was definitely full circle. Uh, you know, coming together, working on a deal. We talked about doing deals together for for quite some time. He is very experienced on the asset management side. That's really what he's known for. He has a book and a podcast and and a lot going on 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 the asset management piece. And that was uh, something that we wanted to to grow in, right? To, to learn from, and, and so we really looked at, you know, going with, uh, you know, one of the the experts and leaders in the industry on on that subject, and, and partnering with that together. Okay, so you met him when you guys were still in Southern California. Where, where did you meet him? Was it at, a, at a, one of the meetups, or how did it, how did that come come about? It was actually at a meetup that he was doing that was virtual. It was probably late March, twenty twenty. Yeah, I'm sure that. It's so funny because we could have met in person like a month or two before and we just didn't, but we ended up meeting then. Uh, yeah, it was on a virtual meetup that he was hosting at the time. Love it. Love it. Now, did you guys have any idea that, you know, two years later, you guys would be partnering on a deal at the time? 
No, not at that time. I mean, I know that, you know, we we started learning and, you know, interacting with him quite a bit early on. And to the extent that Luke actually was one of the editors, he helped look at his book before it went before he mm, published. Nice. So there there was definitely a, a strong relationship there. But, you know, we weren't even in that in that mindset yet. Mm. Right. We were still investing passively, just uh, looking to connect with other operators, looking to, to grow the network and educate via our podcast. And it wasn't really until later that we decided we wanted to be GPs. The partnership came about, but at the time it was really just about networking and, and learning more as, as passive investors. All right. Love it. Love it. And so, you know, you fast forward the clock, you know, after that Zoom meetup, you know, you guys have built the relationship and he he invites you into the into the deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, you know, something that I would, I know you'll end up asking, of course, about advice, but I mean, something is to be like responsive to people. If somebody like comes to you with something, being able to get back to them quickly, we ended up vetting it pretty quickly on our end. You know, we, of course there was him and he had his track record, but it's like, well, if we wanted to be involved in this, we wanted to be able to look at a lot of demographic data and actually dive into the underwriting as well. And I mean, we ended up doing that. We spent a day doing that literally and we're able to get back to him. Yeah. Thankfully, you know, every, everything looked good and we we're able to partner together with him on it. Nice. Nice. And when you guys came into the deal, what was your role in the GP? We ended up helping with capital and then are helping to support asset management a bit as well. Okay. Nice. Nice. So capital raise, that's, that's always, always fun for, for people, you know, and you guys got big grins on your face. So what, what were the biggest lessons you learned you guys had on, on raising capital for that deal? Yeah, I would take it back to the first deal uh, a little bit and, and just share briefly that for the very first deal, we were figuring it out, right? You asked about challenges starting out. Uh, and I mentioned the, the capital raise. We didn't have a an investor portal. There wasn't a CRM to be able to effectively communicate and track, uh, yeah. you know, who's opening emails, maybe who, who was actually interested. And immediately after the first deal, we am, implemented a lot of systems to be able yeah. to streamline the process for, for future ones. And for this one, it was, you know, once, once the deal came came through, then we had all those systems in place. So we had an investor portal. We had, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a draft of our investment summary, right? We were prepared as much as we could uh, with everything except the deal to be able to move forward very quickly. So we had uh, a few weeks, right, in terms of the, the capital raise, and we were able to raise the capital in less time than, than we needed in that timeline. And it was just one, having all those systems in place, mm-hmm. uh, but two, also having a lot of conversations early on with investors about what kind of properties they were interested, what kind of returns, knowing our investor profiles very, very well, right? Our investors and knowing uh, who this was going to be the right fit for. And so once we got the deal, then we knew exactly who to reach out to. Mm -hmm. And it was a much uh, more streamlined and smooth process on our end versus having to track on Excel and figure out who we emailed and who we didn't. It was just night and day compared to the first time around. You know, that, that sounds very familiar because it sounds like my experience. The first one, you're like, what's an investor portal? And then you look at the price <laughs> tag, and you're like, I'm not going to pay $500 a month until I have to. And then you realize that, oh my gosh, I should have, I should have just paid that $500 two months ago, you know? And um, so, so what, what I'm hearing is a lot of lessons learned from your, your first capital raise that you, you implemented for your second one that made it a lot smoother, namely the investor portal, the CRM. And uh, I mean, those, those are like the technological things. I also like what you said about knowing your investors and what types of returns so you know who to reach out to. I mean, 
most people are going to send a general blast out to everybody. When you said, so you know who to reach out to, um, can I assume that you were made, you made more targeted phone calls or texts to those people? Yeah, we definitely did. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the good part too, is that because we knew that like there were certain investors who were only interested in certain deals or certain types of deals, right? So it's like we had talked to them about it, but we knew, okay, well, it's, it's probably more of a long shot. You know, there were some investors that Daisy kind of had more of the relationship with. And then on the other side, it was me who had more of the relationship with some others. And so we're able to, to kind of be more targeted in that way. Whereas previously, it's like we were just a lot of a lot of this is building the ship at sea in a certain respect, but we were we were definitely building the ship at sea the first time around. Yeah, and I mean, second time around, you've got a half built ship, and and you, <laughs> you know, you know what parts uh, work and what parts don't. You know, so yeah, makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I pre- appreciate that a lot. Moving to the next part. So once, so you talk about capital raise, lots of lessons learned. You you built the ship as you were you're sailing, so to speak ended up doing a lot better on your second capital raise than your first. Lots of lessons learned there. Let's look at the next part of the deal. I mean, getting getting from contract to close, you know, were there any big hitches? It seems like there always are, but there were, were there any big hitches in that contract to close period that you guys had to resolve? Yeah, absolutely. One main one that comes to mind is, uh, you know, right, interest rates were already rising, right? We closed on that deal in April of 2022. So we had budgeted a certain amount for the rate cap. You know, that amount was actually higher than than market right at that time. So it was quite a conservative amount. And by the time we closed because of, you know, getting pushed out with for different reasons, uh, the amount that we had to pay was significantly higher. And so we had to, at the very end, and raise an additional 50,000 to be able to, to cover the difference that impacted the investor returns very, very minimally, almost, it was almost no impact to be quite honest, but we still had to inform investors, right. And make sure that everybody was still on board because their return was 0.001% affected. And so you have to disclose that information. It's the yeah. right thing to do. And so that, that was one of the big hiccups, right. Is just the, the economy and, and where things were on the, on the debt side that affected that and, and needing to have a, a last minute additional raise. Yeah. Yeah. And that's with, with the way rates have gone and rising interest rates. I've heard that a lot on some of the recent deals is, you know, rate cap insurance. And ju- just for anybody listening who may not understand what that is, when you get an adjustable rate loan, there are companies that'll come in and basically sell you an insurance policy to keep your rate capped at a certain point. So if if the adjustable rate goes up past a certain point, the insurance company comes in and you pays the mortgage above that point. Now, did your lender require rate cap insurance or not? Yeah, it was it was already in place. It just became way more expensive as, yeah. as time went on. Yeah, and on adjustable rate loans, uh, you know, I don't know if every lender does it, but uh, most lenders that I've heard of are going to require the borrower to have rate cap insurance in case rates go up. It protects you guys and it protects the the lender. So one of those one of those expenses where you get a lot of quotes and you do your best you can to you know get a right number on it. If rates start creeping up faster than insurance company expects that rate cap insurance goes up too. So, well, cool. That's that's interesting. So you raised an additional $50,000. Did you have to change the PPM too, or did you just have to let everybody else know that you had a slightly larger raise? Yeah, there was a, an addendum that had to be signed by all of the investors acknowledging that they were okay with the with the difference okay. uh, because of it did impact right their, their returns very slightly. So they did have to acknowledge and, and sign that amendment. 
All right, perfect. Yeah, and one, one more way of explanation in the private placement memorandum, you there, there's a lot of deal specific stuff that goes in there, including the maximum amount raised. And if you have to go past that maximum amount raised, that triggers an addendum, which just as Daisy said, everybody's going to have to sign and acknowledge. So, so yeah, interesting. And I, I think that's uh, that's a fun one. I mean, something you don't expect and then you get the new bill and you're like, crap, we need more money. Everything that goes along with it, you have to go back to the attorneys and get some some new drafts. You have to get everybody back in the portal to re-sign things. But when all said and done, it's actually not a lot of work. It probably seems like it at the time, but anyway. So when did you guys close on this one? You said April? Yeah, it was April. So about two months ago. Okay. How's everything gone since? So in the first two months of operation, how's everything gone? Yeah, it's going really well. We uh, took over and immediately, you know, looked at improving the 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 capex budget. Was really to come in and improve the the interiors. That was a big portion of it. The rents were actually two hundred and fifty ish below market uh, for this particular property, right. and so coming in and doing some some premium renovations on the interior. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started that the a week and a half after a takeover. Once you know everything was was transferred. Uh, and so working with that is, has been a, one of the biggest CapEx projects right now. We're also in the process of painting the exterior. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're redoing a lot of the um, the signage right outside. The so there's pool. the pool is, is being worked on yeah. as well um, currently. So the best part about working with a very experienced operator is that, you know, you hit the ground running, right? You don't wait until uh, a month in to, to figure out what, what to do. He has the team in place. He has quite a bit, uh, a pretty expansive portfolio in that area. And so property management already knows, uh, you know, exactly what the business plan is. Yeah. The vendors are already set in place and it's now just executing on the business plan. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And that, that is the value of experiences. You hit the ground running and something else that I'll mention, you mentioned a lot of exterior, you know, paint and pool and, and signage and, and whatnot. You know, that's one of the things that I learned up front is try to front load that stuff as much as possible, because that's what people see. You know, you can renovate the inside of every unit, but nobody sees that unless it's their unit. That's what the people who are at the the apartment complex see. And if you're looking for renewals, you're looking for people who want to stay there and for sticky tenants, that's the stuff that you got to front load. And you got to make sure, first of all, you got to make sure it's in your budget and then you got to front load it when you're doing the actual, the renovations. So great. Well, we're, we're hitting the home stretch of the, of the podcast right now. One big question for you guys, what's next for you? Next? I mean, in the immediate future, of course, is becoming parents. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, that's, <laughs> that's for sure coming up. But yeah, I mean, once, you know, for us, for the rest of the year, I mean, we're, we're recording this about halfway through the year. So it's looking at, well, what can we improve on, right? The plan isn't to have another deal at this point. If it happens, and that's great. But we also know that there's a ton of work that goes into it. But the plan is to improve things that we already have in place and then hit the ground running essentially at the beginning of the year. Once the the market comes back and, and listings start up again after the holidays and everything. And then, yeah, just continue to, to grow from there, really. 
Yeah. And during this downtime, you know, it's really continuing to, to maintain those relationships, right? With yeah. brokers, looking mm-hmm. at getting more off market deals is really a big focus for us for, for next yeah. year. And so, you know, we can't just uh, ghost them, right? For, for a few months when the baby comes, it's maintaining all of that, you know, maintaining our investors, right? Up to date on what's going on, uh, the asset management. We're really digging into asset management a lot right now and, and looking more into that. Yeah. Continuing to put out quality education. Mm-hmm. Uh, to increase access for for millennials and for people that don't know that this is something that's possible, right? A lot of that is is via education, nice, uh, nice. and so yeah, it's just a lot a lot in the pipeline. Uh, we have a, a course that we want to launch uh, next year as well for you know a multifamily one hundred and one for somebody who's never invested and just wants to to learn the basics on that end as well. Nice. Uh, so lots lots coming, lots going on, and and really the foundation of it all is working with partners that we know, like, and trust our ourselves, right? Continuing to, to work with people that are respected in the industry that know what they're doing and that, um, you know, that we respect ourselves, right. Is, is a big key. Yeah. High integrity people. Yeah. Make, make sure you send pictures of the, of the newborn baby out to everybody because, (laughs) you know, people like babies, you know, even, even, you know, people with hearts of stone, like me, you know, see baby pictures and, you know, like, oh, it's a baby, but uh, I, I try not to baby talk. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I, I think from that spot, you know, the, the more people know about you personally, the more people are likely to to like you. You know, when you yeah. talk about that no like and trust thing, I, I think that's huge. But anyway, best of luck with you guys with uh, the upcoming addition to the family. Oh, we, we got we got a couple more questions before I can start saying goodbye, but I'll I'll, I'll hold that thought and get to the possibly most important question that I ask here, what advice would you give an aspiring investor who's maybe six to 12 months away from getting their first deal? For me, it's meeting people, networking, mm-hmm. you know, figuring out where is it that you can add value. There's a lot of knowledge I feel like that you can learn, but having a conversation with somebody who's a little bit ahead of you or where you want to be, mm-hmm. like if you can leverage their knowledge, it's going to make it so much easier than trying to go out there and read and listen to podcasts and all those sorts of things. That is important. That is a strong foundation that you need to build. But ultimately, it's like people are what kind of get you where you want to go, I feel like, long term. And, and it's the relationships. And so I'd say I'd say get around the right people and like the people that you respect who are of high integrity that you want to be in their position at some point. Awesome. Awesome. Daisy, how about you? Yeah, I would add to that, uh, take action, whatever it is that you want to do. There's somebody somewhere close to you that's doing it or that has the experience that you are aspiring to, to get. And so whether it's literally just helping and shadowing on a due diligence call mm-hmm. or shadowing on an asset management call, going out and volunteering and doing something for the person that can bring some value to you. Everybody, no matter what place of their career they're in, needs help with something. And so figuring out what that is and taking action is huge because if you do something every single day towards your goals, then you're going to be in such a different place in a year. But if you keep yeah. putting it off, uh, you know, that's that's just not going to happen at the speed that you want it to. And so if every day you can dedicate, uh, you know, 20 minutes to do something and help somebody out, then that will come back tenfold to you later on. Love it. I love it. And I love the different perspectives. I mean, people look at things uh, from different, different sides and 
I, I think what was most enjoyable is is hearing you guys talk about you know, the same deal, same partnerships from your your different perspectives. Uh, with, with that advice, I mean, I, I think you, you put those two together and you've got the perfect match. You, you network, you you meet people, you learn from other people, and then you take action. And you know, you, between what both of you guys said, there's a, there's a virtuous cycle right there where you just you meet people learn, you take action, you help people and mm-hmm. keep on doing that over and over again. You're going to be successful, whatever you do. Very much appreciate that. And now last question, how can listeners learn more about you? Best way is, is really to go to our website. It's make it rain mm-hmm. I mean, on there, you'll be able to, to find us at literally everywhere else that we exist, right? Our emails are on there. Um, you can see all of our social media, whether it's like LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook and where our podcast is, like you had mentioned earlier on Apple and Spotify and everywhere else. Yeah, that's the that's the best way. I mean, you can go on there and schedule a call too with us. That's something that we that we have availability for too. Yeah, and, and I want to give you a shout out as we close up also, Brian, because you've done so much to help so many people. That's and I true. know that that's something that you are very passionate about. And it's all about how can you support and be of service to others. And so it's been for us beautiful to see your growth in the last couple of years and, and to see what you've built and how many people you're able to support now through uh, you know your podcast and Tribe of Titans and, and so many other things. And you just have such a genuine... I don't know, spirit of service. And so just wanted to, to highlight that for, you, for your listeners as well. No, oh, thanks, Daisy. You're going to make me cry. Not really, but, <laughs> but uh, you know. Heart of stone. <laughs> yeah, the heart of stone is kicking in and taking over. But uh, thank you. I appreciate that, Daisy. But yeah, once again, best of luck to both of you, especially, you know, as the new edition comes. It's fun. And the first one's always, they're all challenges. Okay, not, not to get, not knocking the beat around the bush and say that, it gets easier because it doesn't, but uh, the first one is is the biggest learning curve. Have fun, enjoy that time with with the newborn boy or girl, and uh, you know, best of luck to you. And thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Yeah, we appreciate your time and, and effort and energy and having us on. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.